After the silent encounter with Edward Cullen, Bella is very much confused about what to make of it. And to add to the confusion, some strange things happen. So let's see what the strange things are in the second chapter, Open Book. The next day was better and worse. It was better because it wasn't raining yet. Though the clouds were dense and opaque, it was easier because I knew what to expect of my day. Mike came to sit by me in English and walked me to my next class with chess club Eric glaring at him all the while. That was flattering. People didn't look at me quite as much as they had yesterday. I sat with a big group at lunch that included Mike, Erica, Jessica and several other people whose names and faces I now remembered. I began to feel like I was treading on water instead of droning in it. It was worse because I was tired. I still could not sleep with the wind echoing around the house. It was worse because Mr. Wenner called me intrigue when my hand wasn't raised and I had the wrong answer. It was miserable because I had to play volleyball and the one time I didn't cringe out of the way of the ball, I hit my teammate in the head with it. And it was worse because Edward Cullen wasn't in school at all. All morning I was dreading lunch. fearing his bizarre glasses part of me wanted to confront him and demand to know what his problem was while i was lying sleepless in my bed i even imagined what i would say but i knew myself too well to think i would really have the guts to do it i made the cowardly lion look like the terminator but when i walked into the cafeteria with jessica trying to keep my eyes away from sweeping place for him and failing entirely I saw that his four siblings of sorts were sitting together at the same table and he was not with them. Mike intercepted us and steered us to his table. Jessica seemed elated by the attention and her friends quickly joined us. But as I tried to listen to their easy chatter, I was terribly uncomfortable, waiting nervously for the moment he would arrive. I hoped that he would simply ignore me when he came and prove my suspicions false. He didn't come and as time passed I grew more and more tense. I walked to Bowlerji with more confidence when by the end of the lunch he still hadn't showed. Mike who was taking on the qualities of a golden retriever walked faithfully by my side to the class. I held my breath at the door but Edward Cullen wasn't there either. I exhaled and went to my seat. Mike followed talking about an upcoming trip to the beach. He lingered by my desk till the bell rang. Then he smiled at me wistfully and went to sit by a girl with braces and a bad palm. It looked like I was going to have to do something about Mike, and it wouldn't be easy in a town like this where everyone lived on top of everyone else. Diplomacy was essential. I had never been anonymously tactful. I had no practice dealing with overly friendly boys. I was relieved that I had the desk to myself. That Edward was absent. I told myself that repeatedly. but i could not get rid of the nagging suspicion that i was the reason he wasn't there it was ridiculous and egotistical to think that i could affect anyone that strongly it was impossible and yet i couldn't stop worrying that it was true when the school day was finally done and the blush was fading out of my cheeks from the volleyball incident i changed quickly back into my jeans and navy blue sweater i hurried from the girls rocker room pleased to find that i had successfully evaded my retriever friend for the moment i walked swiftly out of to the parking lot 
I was crowded now with fleeing students. I got in my truck and dug through my bag to make sure I had what I needed. Last night I discovered that Charlie could not cook much besides fried eggs and bacon. So I requested that I be assigned kitchen detail for the duration of my stay. He was willing enough to hand over the keys to the banquet hall. I also found out that he had no food in the house. So I had my shopping list and the cash from the jar and the cupboard labeled food money and I was on my way to the thrift way. I gunned my deafening engine to life, ignoring the heads that turned in my direction and backed carefully into a place in the line of cars that were waiting to exit the parking lot. As I waited, trying to pretend that the ear-splitting rumble was some coming from someone else's car, I saw the two Cullens and the Hale twins getting into their car. It was the shiny new Volvo. Of course, I hadn't noticed their clothes before. I had been too mesmerized by their faces. Now that I looked, it was obvious that they were all dressed exceptionally well, simply but in clothes that subtly hinted at designer origins. With their remarkable good looks, the style with which they carried themselves, they could have worn this hugs and pulled it off. It seemed excessive for them to have both looks and money. But as far as I could tell, life worked that way most of the time. I didn't look as if it bought them any acceptance here. No, I didn't really fully believe that. The isolation must be their desire. I could not imagine any door that wouldn't be opened by that degree of beauty. They looked at my noisy truck as I passed them, just like everyone else. I kept my eyes straight forward and was relieved when I finally was free of the school grounds. The thrift way was not far from school, just a few streets south of the highway. It was nice to be inside the supermarket. It felt normal. I did the shopping at home and fell into a pattern of similar tasks gladly. The store was big enough inside that I couldn't hear the tapping of rain on the roof to remind me where I was. When I got home, I unloaded all the groceries, stuffing them in wherever I could find an open space. I hoped Charlie wouldn't mind. I wrapped potatoes in a foil and stuck them in the oven to bake, covered a stick in the marinade and placed it on the top of a carton of eggs in the fridge. When I was finished with that, I took my book back upstairs. Before starting my homework, I changed into a pair of dry sweats, pulled my damp hair into a ponytail and checked my email for the first time. I had three messages. Bella, my mom wrote, write me as soon as you get in. Tell me how your flight was. Is it raining? I miss you already. I'm almost finished packing for Florida, but I can't find my pink blouse. Do you know where I put it? Phil says hi, mom. I sighed and went to the next. It was sent eight hours after the first. Mela, she wrote, why haven't you emailed me yet? What are you waiting for? Mom. The last was from this morning. Isabella, if I haven't heard from you by 5.30 p.m. today, I am calling Charlie. I checked the clock. I still had an hour, but my mom was well known for jumping the gun. Mom, calm down. I'm writing right now. Don't do anything rash. Bella, I sent then and began again. Mom, everything is great. Of course, it's raining. I was waiting for something to write about. School isn't bad, just a little repetitive. I met some nice kids who sit by me at lunch. Your blouse is at dry cleaners. You were supposed to pick it up by Friday. Charlie bought me a truck. Can you believe it? I love it. It's old, but really sturdy, which is good, you know, for me. I miss you too. I'll write you again soon, but I'm not going to check my email every five minutes. 
रिलैक्स रीथ आई लव यू बेला आई हैड डिसाइडेड टू रीड वुथरिंग हाइट्स द नॉवेल्स वी वर करंटली स्टडिंग इन इंग्लिश येट अगेन फॉर द फन ऑफ इट एंड दैट्स वॉट वॉज डूइंग वैन चार्ली केम होम आई हैड लॉस ट्रैक ऑफ द टाइम एंड आई हर इट डाउन स्टेज टू टेक द पोटैटोज आउट एंड पुट द स्ट्रिक इन टू ब्रॉइल बेला मै फादर कॉल्ड आउट एंड ई हर्ड मी ऑन द स्टेज हु एल्स आई थॉट टू माई सेल्फ हे डैड वेलकम होम थैंक्स यंग अप इज गन बेल्ट एंड स्टेप आउट ऑफ हिज बूट्स एज आई बसल्ड अबाउट द किचन एज फार एज आई वॉज अवेयर ही वुड नेवर शॉट द गन ऑन द जॉब बट ही कैप्ट इट रेडी वैन आई केम ह्योर एज अ चाइल्ड ही वुड ऑलवेज रिमूव द बुलेट्स एज सून एज ही वॉकड इन द डोर आई गैस ही कंसिडर्ड मी ओल्ड इनफ नाउ नॉट टू शूट माई सेल्फ बाई एक्सीडेंट एंड नॉट डिप्रेस्ड इनफ टू शूट माई सेल्फ ऑन पर्पज वॉच फॉर डिनर ही आज वेरीली My mother was an imaginative cook and her experiments weren't always edible. I was surprised and sad that he seemed to remember that far back. Steak and potatoes, I answered, and he looked relieved. He seemed to feel awkward standing in the kitchen doing nothing. He lumbered into the living room to watch TV while I worked. We were both more comfortable that way. I made a salad with while the steaks cooked and set the table. I called him in when dinner was ready. and he sniffed appreciatively as he walked into the room smells good bell thanks we ate in silence for a few minutes it wasn't uncomfortable neither of us was bothered by the quiet in some ways we were well suited for living together so how did you like school have you made any friends he asked as he was taking seconds well i have a few classes with a girl named jessica i sit with her friends at lunch and there's this boy mike who's very friendly Everybody seems pretty nice with one outstanding exception. That must be Mike Newton. Nice kid, nice family. His dad owns a sporting sports store just outside of town. He makes a good living out of all the backpackers who come through here. Do you know the Cullen family? I asked hesitantly. Dr. Cullen's family. Sure. Dr. Cullen's a great man. They uh, the kids are a little different. They don't seem to fit in very well at school. Charlie surprised me by looking angry. People in this town, he muttered. Dr. Cullen is a brilliant surgeon who could possibly work in any hospital in the world. Make 10 times the salary he gets here. He continued, getting louder. We are lucky to have him. Lucky that his wife wanted to live in a small town. He's an asset to the community and all of those kids are well behaved and polite. I had my doubts when they first moved in. with all those adopted teenagers i thought we might have some problems with them but they're all very mature i haven't had one peck of trouble from any of them that's more than i can say for the children of some folks who they lived in this town for generations and they stick together the way a family should camping trips every other weekend just because they're newcomers people have to talk it was the longest speech i had ever heard charlie make He must feel strongly about whatever people were saying. I backpedaled. They seemed nice enough to me. I just noticed they kept to themselves. They are all very attractive. I added, trying to be more complimentary. You should see the doctor. Charlie said, laughing. It's a good thing he's happily married. A lot of nurses at the hospital have a hard time concentrating on their work with him around. He leapt back into the silence as we finished eating. He cleared the table while I started on the dishes. 
he went back to the tv and after i finished washing the dishes by hand no dishwasher i went upstairs unwillingly to work on my math homework i could feel a tradition in the making that night it was finally quiet i fell asleep quickly and exhausted the rest of the week was uneventful i got used to the routine of my classes by friday i was able to recognize if not name almost all the students at school in gym the kids on my team learned not to pass me the ball and to step quickly in front of me if the other team tried to take advantage of my weakness i happily stayed out of their way edward cullen didn't come back to school every day i watched anxiously until the rest of the coolens entered the cafeteria without him then i could relax and join with the lunch time conversation mostly it centered around a trip to the lapush ocean park in two weeks that mike was putting together i was invited and i had agreed to go more out of politeness than desire beaches should be hot and dry by friday i was perfectly comfortable entering my biology class no longer worried that edward would be there for all i knew he had dropped out of school i tried not to think about him but i could not totally suppress the worry that i was responsible for his continued absence ridiculous as it seemed my first weekend in fox passed without incident charlie unused to spending time in usually empty house worked most of the weekend i cleaned the house got ahead on my homework and wrote my mom more bogusly cheerful email i did drive to the library saturday but it was so poorly stocked that i didn't bother to get a card i would have to make a day to visit olympia or seattle soon and find a good bookstore i wondered idly what kind of gas mileage the truck got and shuddered at the thought the rain stayed soft over the weekend quiet so i was able to sleep well people greeted me in the parking lot monday morning i didn't know all their names but i waved back and smiled at everyone it was colder this morning but happily not raining In English, Mike took his accustomed seat by me. He had a pop quiz on Wuthering Heights. It was straightforward, very easy. All in all, I was feeling a lot more comfortable than I had thought I would feel by this point. More comfortable than I had ever expected to feel here. When we walked out of class, the air was full of swirling bits of white. I could feel people shouting excitedly to each other. The wind bit at my cheeks, my nose. Wow, Mike said, it's snowing. I looked at the little cotton fluffs that were building up along the sidewalk and swirling erratically up past my face. Ew! Snow. There went my good day. He looked surprised. Don't you like snow? No. That means it's too cold for rain. Obviously. Besides, I thought it was supposed to come down in flakes. You know, each one unique and all that. This looks like the ends of Q-tips. Haven't you ever seen a snowfall before? He asked incredulously. Sure I have. I paused. On TV, Mike laughed. And then a big squishy ball of dripping snow smacked into the back of his head. We both turned to see where it came from. I had my suspicions about Eric, who was walking away, his back towards us, in the wrong direction for his next class. Mike apparently had the same notion. He bent over, began scraping together a pile of white mush. I'll see you at lunch, okay? I kept walking as I spoke. Once people start throwing wet stuff, I go inside. He just nodded, his eyes on Eric's retreating figure. Throughout the morning, everyone chatted excitedly about the snow. Apparently, it was the first snowfall of the new year. I kept my mouth shut. Sure, it was drier than rain. 
until it melted in your socks. I walked alertly to the cafeteria with Jessica after Spanish. Mush balls were flying everywhere. I kept a binder in my head, ready to use it as a shield if necessary. Jessica thought I was hilarious, but something in my expression kept her from lobbing a snowball at me herself. Mike caught up to us as he walked in the doors, laughing, with eyes melting the spikes in his hair. He and Jessica were talking animatedly about the snow fight as we got in the line to buy food. I glanced towards that table in the corner out of habit, and then I froze where I stood. There were five people at the table. Jessica pulled on my arm. Hello, Bella. What do you want? I looked down. My ears were hot. I had no reason to feel self-conscious. I reminded myself, I hadn't done anything wrong. What's with Bella? Mike asked Jessica. Nothing. I answered. I'll just get a soda today. I caught up to the end of the line. Aren't you hungry? Jessica asked. Actually, I feel a little sick. I said. My eyes still on the floor. I waited for them to get their food and then followed them to a table. My eyes on my feet. I sipped my slow soda slowly. My stomach churning. Twice, Mike asked me with unnecessary concern how I was feeling. I told him it was nothing, but I was wondering if I should play it up and escape to the nurse's office for the next hour. Ridiculous! I shouldn't have to run away. I decided to permit myself one glance at Cullen's family table. If he were glaring at me, I would skip biology, like the coward I was. I kept my head down and glanced up under my lashes. None of them were looking this way. I lifted my head a little. They were laughing. Edward, Jasper, and Emmett all had their hair entirely saturated with melting snow. Elias and Rosalie were leaning away as Emmett shook his drippy head towards them. They were enjoying the snowy day just like everyone else. Only they looked more like a scene from a movie than the rest of us. But aside from the laughter and playfulness, there was something different. I couldn't quite pinpoint what the difference was. I examined Edward the most carefully. His skin was less pale. I decided, flushed from the snow fight, maybe. The circles under his eyes were much less noticeable. But there was something more. I pondered, staring, trying to isolate the change. Bella, what are you staring at? Jessica intruded, her eyes following my stare. At that precise moment, his eyes flashed over to meet mine. I dropped my head, letting my head. Fall to conceal my face. I was sure, though, in the instant our eyes met, that he didn't look harsh or unfriendly, as he had the last time I had seen him. He looked merely curious again, unsatisfied in some way. Edward Cullen is staring at you. Jessica giggled in my ear. He does he look angry? He, I couldn't help asking. No, said Jessica, sounding confused by my question. Should he be? I don't think he likes me. I confided. I still felt queasy. I put my head down on my arm. The Kulans don't like anybody. Well, they don't notice anybody enough to like them. But he's still staring at you. Stop looking at him! I hissed. Mike interrupted us. Then he was planning an epic battle of the blizzard in the parking lot after school, and wanted us to join. Jessica agreed enthusiastically. The way she looked at Mike left little doubt that she would be up for anything he suggested. I kept silent. I would have to hide in gym until the parking lot cleared. For the rest of the lunch hour, I very carefully kept my eyes at my own table. I decided to honor the bargain I had made with myself. 
Since he didn't look angry, I would go to biology. My stomach did frighten little flips at the thought of sitting next to him again. I didn't really want to walk to class with Mike as usual. He seemed to be a popular target for snowball snipers. But when we went to the door, everyone besides me groaned in unison. It was raining, washing all traces of snow away in clear icy ribbons down the side of the walkway. I pulled my hood up secretly pleased. I would be free to go home after gym. Mike kept up a string of complaints on the way to the building four. Once inside the classroom, I saw with relief that my table was still empty. Mr. Banner was walking around the room distributing one microscope and box of slides to each table. Class didn't start for a few minutes and the room buzzed with conversation. I kept my eyes away from the door, doodling idly on the cover of my notebook. I heard very clearly when the chair next to me moved, but my eyes stayed carefully focused on the pattern I was drawing. Hello, said a quiet musical voice. I looked up, stunned that he was speaking to me. He was sitting as far away from me as the desk allowed, but his chair was angled towards me. His hair was dripping wet, disheveled, even so he looked like he had just finished shooting a commercial for hair gel. His dazzling haze was friendly, open, a slight smile on his flawless lips, but his eyes were careful. My name is Edward Cullen, he continued. I didn't have a chance to introduce myself last week. You must be Bella Swan. My mind was spinning with confusion. Had I made up the whole thing? He was perfectly polite now. I had to speak. He was waiting, but I could not think of anything conventional to say. How, how do you know my name? I stammered. He laughed a soft, enchanting laugh. Oh, I think everyone knows your name. The whole town's been waiting for you to arrive. I grimaced. I knew it was something like that. No, I persisted stupidly. I meant, why did you call me Bella? He seemed confused. Do you prefer Isabella? No, I like Bella, I said. But I think Charlie, I mean my dad, must call me Isabella behind my back. That's what everyone here seems to know me as. I tried to explain, feeling like an utter moron. Oh, he let it drop. I looked away awkwardly. Thankfully, Mr. Banner started class at that moment. I tried to concentrate as he explained the lab we would be doing today. The slides in the box were out of order. Working as lab partners, we had to separate the slides of onion root tips into the phases of mitosis they represented and label them accordingly. We weren't supposed to use our books. In 20 minutes, he would be coming around to see who had it right. Get started, he commanded. Ladies first, partner. Edward asked. I looked up to see him smiling a crooked smile, so beautiful that I could only stare at him like an idiot. Or I could start if you wish. The smile faded. He was obviously wondering if I was mentally competent. No, I said flushing. I'll go ahead. I was showing off just a little. I had already done this lab and I knew what I was looking for. It should be easy. I snapped the first slide into place under the microscope and adjusted it quickly to the 40x objective. I studied the slide briefly. My assessment was confident. Proface. Do you mind if I look? He asked as I began to remove the slide. His hands caught mine to stop me as he asked. His fingers were ice cold, like he had been holding them in snowdrift before class. But that wasn't why I jerked my hand away so quickly. When he touched me, it stung my hand as if an electric current had passed through us. 
I'm sorry, he muttered, pulling his hand back immediately. However, he continued to reach for the microscope. I watched him still staggered as he examined the slide for an even shorter time than I had. Profits, he agreed, writing it neatly in the first space on our worksheet. He swiftly switched out the first slide for the second and then glanced at it curiously. An aphase, he murmured, writing it down as he spoke. I kept my voice indifferent. May I? He smirked and pushed the microscope to me. I looked through the eyepiece eagerly only to be disappointed. Dang, he was right. Slide 3, I held out my hand without looking at him. He handed it to me. It seemed like he was being careful not to touch my skin again. I took the most fleeting look I could manage. Interface. I passed him the microscope before he could ask for it. He took a swift peek and then wrote it down. I would have written it down when he looked, but his clear, elegant script intimidated me. I didn't want to spoil the page with my clumsy scrawl. We were finished before everyone else was close. I could see Mike and his partner comparing two slides again and again, and another group had their book open under their table, which left me with nothing to do but to try not to look at him. Unsuccessfully. I glanced up and he was staring at me, that same inflexible look of frustration in his eyes. Suddenly, I identified that subtle difference in his face. Did you get contacts? I blurted out unthinkingly. He seemed puzzled by my unexpected question. No. Oh, I mumbled. I thought there was something different about your eyes. He shrugged and looked away. In fact, I was sure there was something different. I vividly remembered the black color of his eyes the last time he had glared at me. The color was striking against the background of his pale skin and his auburn hair. Today his eyes were a completely different color, a strange ochre darker than butterscotch but with same golden tone. I didn't understand how that could be unless he was lying for some reason about the context. Or maybe Fox was making me crazy in the literal sense of the world. I looked down. His hands were clenched into hard fists again. Mr. Banner came to our table then to see why we weren't working. He looked over our shoulder to glance at the completed lab and then stared more intently to check the answers. So Edward, didn't you think Isabella should get a chance with a microscope? Mr. Banner asked. Bella, Edward corrected automatically. Actually she did identified three of the five. Mr. Banner looked at me now. His expression was spectacle. Have you done this life before? He asked. I smiled sheepishly. Not with onion root. White-faced blastula? Yeah. Dr. Banner nodded. Were you in an advanced placement program in Phoenix? Yes. Well, he said for a moment. I guess it's good you two are lab partners. He mumbled something else as he walked away. After he left, I began doodling on my notebook again. It's too bad about the snow, isn't it? Edward asked. I had the feeling that he was forcing himself to make small talk with me. Peronia swept over me. It was like he heard my conversation with Jessica at lunch and was trying to prove me wrong. Not really, I answered honestly, instead of pretending to be normal like everyone else. I was still trying to dislodge the stupid feeling of suspicion and I could not concentrate. You don't like the cold? It wasn't a question. Or the wet. Fox must be a difficult place for you to live, he mused. You have no idea, I muttered darkly. He looked fascinated by what I had said. 
For some reason, I could not imagine. His face was such a distraction that I tried not to look at it any more than courtesy absolutely demanded. Why did you come here then? No one had asked me that, not straight out like he did, demanding. It's complicated. I think I can keep up, he pressed. I paused for a long moment and then made the mistake of meeting his gaze. His dark, cold eyes confused me and I answered without thinking. My mother got remarried, I said. That doesn't sound so complex, he disagreed, but he was suddenly sympathetic. When did that happen? Last December. My voice sounded sad even to me. And you don't like him, Edward surmised his tone still kind. No, Phil is fine. Too young, maybe, but nice enough. Why didn't you stay with them? I could not fathom his interest, but he continued to stare at me with penetrating eyes as if my dull life story was somehow virtually important. Phil travels a lot. He plays ball for a living. I half smiled. Have I heard of him? He asked, smiling in response. Probably not. He doesn't play well. Strictly minor league. He moves around a lot. And your mother sent you here so that she could travel with him. He said it as an assumption again, not a question. My chin raised a fraction. No, she didn't send me here. I sent myself. His eyebrows knit together. I don't understand, he admitted. And he seemed unnecessarily frustrated by that fact. I sighed. Why was I explaining this to him? He continued to stare at me with obvious curiosity. She stayed with me at first, but she missed him. It made her unhappy, so I decided it was time to spend some quality time with Charlie. My voice was glum by the time I finished. But now we are unhappy, he pointed out. And, I challenged, that doesn't seem fair. He shrugged, shrugged, but his eyes were still intense. I laughed with humor. Hasn't anyone ever told you? Life isn't fair. I believe I have heard that somewhere before. He agreed dryly. So that's all. I insisted, wondering why he was still staring at me that way. His case became appraising. You put on a good show. He said slowly, but I would be willing to bet that you are suffering more than you let anyone else see. I grimaced at him, resisting the impulse to stick out my tongue like a five-year-old and looked away. Am I wrong? I tried to ignore him. I didn't think so, he murmured smugly. Why does it matter to you? I asked irritated. I kept my eyes away watching the teacher make his rounds. That's a very good question, he muttered so quietly that I wondered if he was talking to himself. However, after a few seconds of silence, I decided that was the only answer I was going to get. I sighed, scowling at the blackboard. Am I annoying you? he asked. He sounded amused. I glanced at him without thinking and told the truth again. Not exactly. I am more annoyed at myself. My face is so easy to read. My mother always calls me her open book. I frowned. On the contrary, I find you very difficult to read. Despite everything that I had said and he had guessed, he sounded like he meant it. You must be a good reader then, I replied. Usually, he smiled wildly, flashing a set of perfect ultra-white teeth. Mr. Banner called the class to order then and I turned with relief to listen. I was in disbelief that I had just explained my dreary life to this bizarre, beautiful boy who may or may not despise me. 
He seemed engrossed in our conversation, but now I could see from the corner of my eye that he was leaning away from me again, his hands gripping the edge of the table with unmistakable tension. I tried to appear attentive as Mr. Banner illustrated with a transparencies of the overhead projector what I had seen without difficulty without the microscope, but my thoughts were unmanageable. When the bell rang finally, Edward rushed as swiftly and as gracefully from the room as he had last Monday. And like last Monday, I stared after him in amazement. Mike skipped quickly to my side and picked my books for me. I imagined him with a wagging tail. That was awful, he groaned. They all looked exactly the same. You're lucky you had Cullen for a partner. I didn't have any trouble with it, I said, stung by the assumption. I regretted the snub instantly. I have done the life before though, I added before he could get his feelings hurt. Cullen seemed friendly enough today, he commented, as we shrugged into our raincoats. He then seemed pleased about it. I tried to sound indifferent. I wonder what was with him last Monday. I couldn't concentrate on Mike's chatter as we walked to gym, and P did not do much to hold my attention either. Mike was on my team today. He chivalrously covered my position as well as his own, so my wool gathering was only interrupted when it was my turn to serve. My team ducked verily out of the way every time I was up. The rain was just a mist as I walked to the parking lot, but I was happier when I was in the dry cab. I got the heater running, for once not caring about the mind-numbing roar of the engine. I unzipped my jacket, put the hood down, fluffed up my damp hair out so the heater would dry it on the way home. I looked around to make me sure it was clear. That's when I noticed a still white figure. Edward Cullen was leaning against the front door of the Volvo, three cars down from me and staring intently in my direction. I swiftly looked away and threw the truck into reverse, almost hitting a rusty Toyota Corolla in my haste. Luckily for the Toyota, I stomped on the brake in time. It was just the sort of car that my truck would have made scrap metal of. I took a deep breath, still looking out of the other side of my car and cautiously pulled out again with greater success. I stared straight ahead as I passed the Volvo, but from the peripheral peak, I could swear I saw him laughing.